morning, church. A couple of scripture readings today. You'll be able to join it. I'll walk you through them. First is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lay down and when you rise. Verses 20 to 21. When your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verses 17 and 18. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for he, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. Word of the Lord. Well, today is the final sermon in our series on Moses. For the last nine weeks, we have been uh, tracing his life from the moment when he was born uh, and even to all the way up to today, which is the, the day before, the moments before, and even right up to his passing. And so let me just show you briefly where we've been um, on a map. This will be the last map for the series. And then uh, the, next, uh, the next series, we're not gonna, it doesn't have the geographical narrative of Moses. So we'll take a little break from maps for a little while. And I know some of you are like, yes, no more maps. And others of you are like, what am I gonna do without a map? Well, so here's our map for today and, and uh, what shows the, the, really the entire journey. So um, it begins at the bottom of the turquoise line. Um, Kathy gave me this little thing this morning, which is kind of cool. So, um, which is in the capital, the, the capital of Thebes, where Moses was born. And then we journeyed up the turquoise line to, um, to Memphis, which was a capital for a short period of time. Also the, the hometown of Elvis Presley, of course. Um, just kidding. Uh, and, then, and then into the northern capital of P. Ramses in the Nile Delta in the land of Goshen. And this is where the majority of the Hebrew sl slaves settled in the land of Goshen in and around uh, P. Ramses. And then we followed Moses on this uh, purple line um, as he made his way to Midian where he was a shepherd for 40 years. And then he, uh, God called him from a bush at Mount Sinai. He went back into Egypt uh, to rescue the Hebrews from slavery, which he did. And they made their way across the Reed Sea down the Sinai Peninsula. They stopped and they camped for 11 months at Mount Sinai, where Moses met with God. They received the law, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And then 
in the orange line, which was last week, they journeyed up to Kadesh Barnea, where they stayed for 38 years, just a few miles outside of the promised land uh, for many reasons, but largely because of their fear of what was inside the promised land. And so they waited for 38 years before God would finally call them into the promised land. So today we follow the white line as they travel from Kadesh a little bit south, kind of down um, to, to the tip of the water there, and then over around uh, Edom and through the plains of Moab to the base of Mount Nebo. And so they travel by along the Moabites and along Moab. There's some great mountain biking there, I hear, and rock climbing. And, and, they, may, and, they, get to, um, and they get to this region of, uh, of where Mount Nebo is. So here's an image. This is the King's Highway, which um, has been an, it was an ancient highway prior to paving it. It, it was uh, a major trade route that went all the way from Egypt to the northern Asian countries in the north. And the Hebrews would have traveled along this route. Today, you can still travel along the King's Highway. Of course, now it's paved. And you can look out into the distance and see the, uh, the Dead Sea out there. And so hundreds of thousands, likely over a million uh, Hebrews um, in their journey to the promised land camp there when Moses gives them the words which we know as the book of Deuteronomy. Nearly the entire book of Deuteronomy consists of three speeches that Moses gives essentially as his parting words for the Hebrews before they begin their new chapter in their life in the promised land. Before the, you enter into the promised land and everything changes, here's what I want you to know. And so there are three big ideas uh, that I'd like for us to catch from today's message. And the first one is that Moses instructs the Hebrews to pass the faith on to their children. This is a major theme uh, in, in Moses' teaching and in his leadership. You remember that the Israelites, they had escaped Egypt uh, in slavery 40 years ago. So that means that uh, most of the people who were adults in slavery are now dead. They're now gone. And so the people who are left are the children and children's children. And so the, the, the memory among the group of what it was like to be under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh in slavery in Egypt is largely gone. And, and Moses is concerned that they're going to forget who they are and where they came from and what God had done for them. And so over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, remember to pass your faith on to your children so that they will know who they are and whose they are. And so he recites the Ten Commandments. He goes over the, the entire law. He takes them on the journeys of where they've been, goes over the whole story with them. And then he says this. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you're about to cross into and occupy. When your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord God commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
The emphasis here is on passing faith to the next generation. Why? Because the Christian faith, or the Jewish faith, or really any faith for, for that matter, is always only one generation away from becoming extinct. As soon as parents and churches stop responding to the call to do that work of teaching and showing our faith to our children, uh, it disappears. But not just teaching them, it's, it's really, uh, passing on our faith is really a game of show and tell. It's just like what we learned in kindergarten. We show them what God's love looks like when we live out our lives in the world. We show them what faith looks like, what it means to be a Christian in various spheres in life, and then we tell them about that. We tell them why we live the way we do. Uh, and, and so passing on our faith is, is critical. It was incumbent upon Moses to say to them, teach your children, pass this on to them so they remember. I'm curious, how many of you who are here today and are people of faith, uh, how many of you had a parent or a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, some family member who took an interest in making sure that you knew about God's love for you? Can you raise your hand if any of you had an influence of a parent or a grandparent or somebody in your family who took it upon themselves? And if you just think for that for a moment, who that person is, is it your aunt, is it your uncle, is it your grandma or your, your sibling or your cousin? And I just, who most influenced you in your faith? And on the count of three, just na- yell it out at the same time and I'll gather them all up and store them in my memory. <laughs> so ready? Okay, one, two, three. Excellent. I got them all. I I know your stories now. This is wonderful. For me, it was my mom. It it was my mom and and my dad as well. But really, it was my mom um, who, when, when they became pregnant with me, my mom and my dad, and my mom said, we are going to raise this child in the church. Uh, come hell or high water, right? <laughs> so we're, we're going to, so she was very, very committed to taking me to church in the Roman Catholic Church at a very young age. My grandmother gave me a rosary, and I learned how to pray the rosary when I was a kid. Uh, my parents would take me to church every Sunday, and we would sit in mass. It was boring, and I didn't understand any of it, but I grasped grasp something about the reality of a God who loves us enough to send his son to die for the sin of the world. Um, my mom would make me go to catechism class on Wednesday nights. I absolutely hated it. Um, it, it was run by a, a stodgy nun with an iron fist, and all I wanted to do was get out of there. On Christmas Eve, every year, my parents would take me to midnight mass at the mission of San Juan Capistrano. And it was late, I was tired, all I wanted was to go to bed so I can get up and have presents the next morning. Uh, and, And yet, there was something about the mystery in that moment on in the middle of the night, on this holy night, in this big cathedral, something about the mystery of God was imparted upon me. And that was an important lesson. Did I end up walking away from my faith and leaving it all behind and saying, forget it, I'm not interested in any of that? Yes, I did. But there was a seed that was planted that uh, 
eventually made its way through the rocky soil of my life until it finally sprouted and started to grow in its own way. Um, and so we pass our faith when we, when we invest in the children of our church, our own children uh, and our grandchildren, and we invest in their faith, uh, we are planting seeds that we hope and trust and pray will sprout in God's good time. Um, I find it comforting to me uh, that to know that the scripture says, train up your child in a way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. I find comfort in knowing that it doesn't say, train up your child in the way they should go, and when they are teenagers, they will not depart from it. Or when they are in college, they will not depart from it. Or when they are young adults and they're starting their own families, they will not depart from it. No, when they are old, they will not depart from it. And one of the great challenges of Christian parents and grandparents is what, what happens when we let our kids go. And sometimes they go on their journeys and, and we're called to trust that even though they might for some time, maybe a long time, be far away from God, God is not far away from them. He knows exactly where they are. He knows every hair on their head, and he won't let them go. We believe in that promise, and the challenge for us is to trust that promise. So we're called to pass our faith on to our children. I, I think about a few weeks ago when uh, Don and Julie Martin were standing up here uh, to support their son Pierce who by his own intention but after years of nurturing his faith stood up to present himself to be baptized that's that's what it looks like uh, to pass on your faith to your children I, I think about VBS and and the kids playing out there um, and singing the songs in the morning and at the end of each day. And I've, I have this image of Amy and Jim Cobb and a couple other people dancing and doing hand gestures and singing worship songs with a gaggle of children around us. That's, that's what it looks like to pass on our faith to our children. And so one of the questions that the text asks us to reflect on in our lives is about the children who are in your sphere of influence. What are you doing to pass on the Christian faith to them? Because it is always only one generation away from becoming extinct. So Moses felt this great urgency that day because he knew that he was about to die and he knew the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land. He wants to make sure that it doesn't end with them. But he's not only concerned about their children and their children's children, he's also concerned about them themselves, that they would forget, that they might forget the Lord themselves and what God had done with them. Uh, and so 15 times in the book of Deuteronomy, he commands them, remember the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. Remember who he is and what he's done for you. Remember his ordinances and his commands. You hear that in this particular passage. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. 
When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, and your stock portfolio is multiplying, and you get a vacation home and a third car garage, oh, it doesn't say that, but when all of this is multiplying, do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he's doing today. Why is Moses so afraid that they're going to forget? Well, let me just ask you, when do people most often pray? When things are going really well or when things are going really poorly? When things are going bad in life, we're on our knees. God, please help me. This is going on. It's bigger than what I can handle. Help me, Lord. But when things are going well, it's then that we kind of have a tendency to stop praying, stop opening the scriptures. We don't think we need church anymore. Uh, we don't seek God's guidance. Why? Because things are going well. And, and then that leads to this kind of train of thought that, well, if things are going well, then that must mean that I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty talented and I work really hard. And, and so, and then ultimately you just end up kind of forgetting where it all came from. And Moses wants them to know right before he dies, Right before they enter the promised land, always remember how God delivered you. And one of the ways that he wanted them to remember is by reciting and memorizing Deuteronomy 6.5, which we know as the Shema Israel. Shema means hear or listen. I talked about this text when I did the Hebrew series last year, um, so I won't go into too much on it. But, but this is, a, this is the most important, most important verse in the entire Hebrew Bible according to Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. And Jesus called this the greatest commandment, and the second was like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you've been to a Jewish friend's house. And you've seen one of these. It's called uh, mezuzah. And this is an aid for memory for them. And so they put it on the doorpost, on the door of their house. And every day, a faithful Jew, when they walk out of the house, they put their hand on the mezuzah. And inside that mezuzah is a little scroll with Deuteronomy 6, 5 on it. You shall love the Lord your God, written in Hebrew in a kosher way. And the faithful Jew will put their hand on the mezuzah. And before they walk out the house, they will say, my mission today is that I would love God with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. And when they come home at the end of the day, they put their hand on the mezuzah. I enter back into my family, and my mission when I go home now is to love God with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. They say it as the first words when they wake up in the morning and the last words when they go to bed, and a faithful Jew desires if they could so have the opportunity that these would be the final words on their deathbed. That's how important they are. And that's how they would remember that God had saved them and God had delivered them. That's your mission in life too. That's what you were created for. God created you to be recipients of his love, but he also longs for that love to be reciprocated in 
your love for him with all your intellect, with your heart, your center of your being, with all of your, your strength. Uh, that's what Moses of reminds us here. You were created for this. You get to the end of Deuteronomy, and Moses has started out with this, and he lays out these blessings and curses. He, he says, if you do God's will and you obey God's commands, things will go well for you. Even in hardship, you will know that God is near. But when you turn away from God and you forget and you will start making bad decisions and things will not go well for, for you and there will be pain and there will be oppression and, and things will go south. And then he concludes with these powerful climactic words. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac. And to Jacob. And this is interesting. It becomes the cycle of the narrative of Israel's life throughout the entire Hebrew scriptures, which is they are they're remembering God, they are faithful to God, they are obeying God, things are going well for them. After things go well for some period of time, then they forget God, and then they start making some bad decisions, and then things start going bad for them, and, and they go into exile and all of this, and then they turn back to God, they repent, they ask for God's help, God comes in, saves them, these things start going well for them again, and then after a while, then they forget, and this just is just the cycle of the entire narrative of their life until Jesus comes. And let me just ask you, have you ever forgotten the Lord? Have you ever been prone to wander, prone to leave the God you love? Of course you have. We all have. And so this part of the message of Moses' final words are for us to remember the Lord, to hold fast to him and his commands, and to love him with all that's within us. That's what we are made for. And that leads to the next and, and final thought. So Moses has now challenged the Israelites. He's laid out the text of Deuteronomy, and now he's going to ascend to the top of Mount Nebo where he's going to die and rest with his ancestors. So God is going to take him at the top of Mount Nebo. And when he recognizes that this is about to happen, God says, I'm going to let you see the promised land. You've never seen it before. I'm not going to let you go in, but you're going to see it. I'm going to let you see it. So here's a view of the promised land from the top of Mount Nebo. You can see like, you know, if you're a tourist, there's a little sign there. So <laughs> you can go visit this now. But you can, you, this is likely where Moses would have viewed the promised land. And you can see the nation of, modern day nation of Israel out there in the distance. And that's the promise, the promised land. He sees it from there. And the text says that the, that the Lord himself buries Moses. And no one to this day knows where Moses was buried. I want you to know that when Moses goes to the top of the promised land, this has been the driving vision for the last 40 years of his life, uh, is to get to the promised land. That's the one thing. It begins in Exodus 3.8 when it says, and we, we get this call, it's God says, I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, 
and the Jebusites. Moses had never seen this land. He didn't know what it looked like. But God said, there's this land, and it's flowing with milk and honey. And I want you to take these people there for their own flourishing, their prosperity, and for the flourishing of the world. I think it was Max Dupree who said that he defined leadership in a very brilliant and simple way. He said, the task of a leader is to take people from here to there. That's it. So take people from here to there. It's a really brilliant in its simplicity because what Moses has to do when he is going to take them from Egypt to the promised land, the first thing he has to do is to convince them that the here is inadequate and that the there is good for them even though they've never seen it before. And so what was inadequate about the here? Well, they were slaves in Egypt. They've been robbed of their human dignity and their ability to worship God in freedom. And so he has to convince them that this is bad. This is not good for you. You've been robbed of your own human dignity and we're going to take you to the promised land and it's going to be a hard journey, but it will be way better. And all along the way, when, when they wanted to go back and when he wanted to give up and when he wanted to quit, he would continue to cast the vision. The promised land awaits. The promised land awaits. We're going there. We're going to get through this. And so that's what a leader does. That's what, what Moses does. He has this vision that he's committed to, and he would not stray from that vision. So I think Moses, uh, interestingly, he gets to the top of Mount Nebo and he's not going to enter into the promised land. And it's interesting that there's no indication that he's upset by this. He doesn't start to argue with God and say, well, I've been doing, I know I made some mistakes, but I've been doing it. You've got to let me in. He doesn't argue. He, he doesn't even seem to care. Um, maybe he's tired. You know, maybe he feels like he's done with the journey. It's, he's finished his job. But really, I think Moses has some intuition on the nature of the promised land. And I think Moses understood that the promised land was so much more than a piece of geography on the eastern part of the Mediterranean that we call now the modern state of Israel. Moses understood that the promised land was to be in the presence and will of God. It was a space where people could worship in freedom, where they could serve God, where human beings would love their neighbors as themselves. It was a space where the justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, a place where paradise is restored and the brokenness of humanity is being repaired. I think Moses had a picture of the promised land that was a lot bigger than 8,500 square miles. When I think about this, I think of the promised land as a vision that we give our lives to. For Jesus, he had a name for the promised land. He called it the kingdom of God. And he said the kingdom of God is not a, a piece of geography. It, it, the kingdom of heaven is within you, he said. That's, that's the reign of God, that God would reign in each of our hearts and also in our systems and in our nations that we might live as humans intend to live, loving our neighbors as ourselves. It starts in our hearts. The kingdom of God is within you. It's the vision of God for all creation embedded in our hearts, but not just in our hearts, also in our policies and in our schools and in our courtrooms and in our businesses in our ICUs, and so we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then we work toward that 
because that is the driving vision of Jesus' life, is the renewal of all things. So I just wonder, do you have a picture of the promised land beyond your short-term goals and your bucket lists and whatever else is going on in your life? Do you have a vision of the promised land that is bigger, uh, that for the rest of my life, this is what I'm marching toward. This is what I'm about to, as Soren Kierkegaard said, to will the one thing, um, something that's bigger than our personal or career or family goals. What's your vision of the promised land? For Dr. King, it was a vision of a racially reconciled society. For Mother Teresa, it's that the dying would die with dignity. For Billy Graham, it was that every person would know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What is the thing that you're willing to give yourself to, the pearl of great price for you? Please tell me it's not a 7 Series BMW. Please tell me it's not a condo in Park City or a fourth car garage. These are wonderful things, but the pursuit of them is so much smaller. C.S. Lewis says, said that uh, we prefer making mud pies in a slum when there is an offer at the sea, a holiday at the sea on offer waiting for us. The promised land is so much bigger. Um, and so that's what we're created for, the kingdom of God. It's waking up every morning every single morning and knowing that you are a beloved child of God, that you were created by love, into love, and for love, and that you belong to a great cloud of witnesses that spans space and time so that you are not alone, and that every day you wake up, you have a purpose, a mission for your life to love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How do I follow Jesus every day and embody his love and mercy in the world? That's your mission. And so we've, we are given these things as Christians. And when God's vision becomes our driving vision, we find great comfort in knowing that we will get to the promised land. So in closing, these three big ideas. Share your vision with your children your children's children or whatever children are in your sphere uh, of influence. Share your faith, teach the faith to them. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. Remember to love the Lord your God with everything you have. And then finally, have a, a worthy vision of your life. Have a vision that is worthy of your life because you have so much to offer and give yourself to that vision now and for the rest of your days. Moses' story, the book of Deuteronomy, ends with these words. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Thanks be to God for Moses' life. Let's pray. Loving God, we, we thank you for Moses. We thank you for his example for his struggles. We thank you for his um, oftentimes raw relationship with you. And we thank you that we, uh, like him, can, can wrestle with you and, and persevere through the wildernesses that we experience in our lives, even the wilderness of COVID. And we thank you that in Jesus Christ, the, the new and true Moses,
that the promised land awaits for us, not only after we die and after Christ returns, but even now. Help us to live in the presence and love of God our Father and give us a vision that is worthy of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.